shadowy flight into the dangerous world of a man who does not exist. This is Max. I just want to apologize uh, for the hiatus, the unexpected hiatus that we took over the holidays and January. Uh, we're back on schedule, and there should be no delays of any significant nature in the future. So, without further ado, I give you the episode on The Night Rider. Uh, oh, by the way, you'll hear some references to the holidays, and uh, while we didn't get to tell you then, we hope you guys had a happy holiday, and, uh, and now we can include Valentine's Day in that. We hope you had a, a wonderful Valentine's Day. Anyway, now, without further ado the show hello and welcome to the latest episode of max and jason watch a movie watching a television show i'm jason and i'm max and this week uh, on this uh, slightly abbreviated episode uh, owing to holiday demands we will be tackling the 1980s television series action series science fiction light series knight rider Starring David Hasselhoff as Michael Knight, Edward, Edward Mulhair, or as I refer to him in my notes, Michael Caine Light, as Devin Miles, Richard Basehart as the narrator, uh, who gives a shit about that guy, Patricia McPherson. This is, these are some, uh, I'm going to try and hit on the people who are like mainstays of the show, but I think those two guys are the main ones. Folks, this is a show from the 1980s. It was a part of this a kind of pantheon of action series from the 80s, uh, and this was. Was, uh, one of them was it the best of them? Probably not. It had a it's a an AI hero is the car Kit. I guess that's a cast member who played Kit. Jason, do you know? Uh, uh, Kit uh, actually was voiced by. Uh, no, I have this right here. Kit was voiced by William Daniels, who very active in the eighties. I mean, actually, I think anybody if they if they saw a picture of him, recognize him right away. At the time, he was on Saint Elsewhere, which I didn't watch, but he was certainly a very recognized recognizable figure at time. Gotcha, gotcha. So so anyway, KIT is a, uh, an acronym that doesn't matter. I'm not going to repeat what KIT stands for unless Jason has it off the top of his head or can easily access it really quickly. I might cut it in, but it's kind of stupid and I don't care about it. No, no, no. I do have it. Night Industries 2000, which they they actually refer to it as that before. Okay. So like, so in this episode, before KIT actually speaks, they refer to him as the Night 2000. Okay. And uh, I, I think he does mention to Michael that, you know, or Kit. And it's it's only when Kit starts talking to him that that becomes the name that he actually uses to address him. Yes, yes. So uh, Kit is a high-tech Trans Am, a black Trans Am, with a red light in the front of it that goes back and forth. It's sort of like a brake light, but in the front, just above the headlights and the, and the bumper, to the extent that the Trans Ams have bumpers. It's state-of-the-art car, but... but, but and this is kind of getting ahead of this episode. We're just doing the pilot episode tonight, audience. And Jason's going to fill us in on what happens in this two-part pilot at the end. Because I only got to watch the first part of it. But where am I going with this? Uh, Pantheon of 80s shows. And this fit 
in uh, a lot of people's action rotation, there was this, there was the Fall Guy, there was the A-Team. The Incredible Hulk sort of, the last year of that show happens in the first year of this show. Would you, I, yes, I, wouldn't, I, yes. I wouldn't put Magnum P.I. in this group. Would you, in this group of 80s action shows, or, or would you say that was like the higher end area of these action shows? Well, it's interesting you say that, because actually I would put it in there, not because it's, I, I, I know what you mean. Like, I would actually, I would throw in Hardcastle and McCormick. Yes, yes. As another show that was very much in what in the line of what you were talking about. Magnum P.I. was more of a detective show, but the connection between the two is Glenn A. Larson. Okay. Because, because Larson pr- uh, produced and created Magnum P.I. as well. And actually, it, it, was, it was watching this show that I actually kind of remembered Glenn A. Larson, because as a child... Uh, and and any of you out there that are Gen Xers like Max and I, and, and you grew up on television, you probably watched a lot of these shows because there were only three channels. Mm-hmm. And you probably saw produced by Glenn A. Larson quite a bit. And you may, you you, you might not have noticed it, but but it's, but it's something you saw a lot. And so when I say that name, you probably, ah, I've heard that before. In the late 70s, early 80s, there are a lot of shows that he was involved with that, that, that are not necessarily the same in texture. They're not necessarily the same in, in theme or concept because some of them some of them were science fiction and some of them were not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, there, was this, there was this there was this element to these shows that I want to mention a couple more of these shows and some of them will be closer to this genre and some of them will be closer to like the I get I, what I want to say is like the higher end adventure action shows. I think Magnum PI is on one end of this continuum and then this show and shows like it are on the other end, which is to say less realistic, less less well, let, lower production values. A couple other of these shows, Airwolf yeah. is one of them, and TJ Hooker, I think, is in this group. And one of the, and there's yeah. this aesthetic about these shows that I think holds across them, with the exception of like the higher, uh, like I said, the ones with the higher production values and the better writing. And like I said, Magnum PI is the one that sticks out in my mind here for that. But these shows had really bad location shooting and really bad ideas about geography. A lot of it was, you could you could tell a lot of it was done in, you know, on studio backlots that they, that they barely dressed. <laughs> Yes, yes. These were these were kind of fast and cheap, but fairly entertaining shows for the time. And and a lot of them now, almost all the shows that we've just mentioned were meant for kids of all ages. Mm-hmm. Like adults didn't watch them, but um they were kind of more like throwaway serials for the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Really ex- and the exception would have been would have been Magnum PI, which I think is more a show that it, that would have been, I mean, even though I know you and I watched it, but that would have been more of a mystery show for adults. Yeah. Maybe more mature plots. I'm not sure. But 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 if you go through uh Glenn Larson's catalog of television shows, he was in fact, I, I would almost argue he was shooting for the the young audience that loved Star Trek reruns yeah, yeah. and loved Star Wars. And not that it had to be science fiction, maybe it maybe it could be something grounded, but it had to have some kind of uh as in the case of what we're, of what we're about to talk about you know a high-tech car or just just something action oriented because actually the thing that um probably probably and i think that i i could defend this the most important thing that glenn a larson ever produced or created was battlestar galactica the original show and he was a consulting producer on the tv on 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 the on the sci-fi reboot of it yes yes because he's he's dead now but but he was still alive at the time and he was involved in that but the original idea of battle 
Battlestar Galactica was his. Was it a Star Wars ripoff? Of course. What he was, you know, he, he was a brilliant producer, a television producer, I should uh, qualify that, at trying to take ideas that he thought younger people, both our age and maybe 20-somethings, and could kind of turn it into a, a cheap television show that would get viewers. And he was very good at creating these shows and getting the attention of people like us at our age. Well, it's interesting. That he's an interesting guy that you bring up here because I'm looking at the the, his production catalog and he is the producer on several of the series I've just named. He was a producer of The Fall Guy. He was a producer of as we've talked about Battlestar Galactica, Magnum P.I., uh, a show I didn't mention because it wasn't on very long but one that I really appreciated was Auto Man. He did that. He produced yeah. the really unpleasant Manimal. Sidebar. You know, audience, the less said about Manimal, the better. It starred a guy named Simon McCorkle, who could change into animals. And I don't remember much about it, but I want to share with you a little bit of the intro music, just to get a taste of how bad it was in the 1980s. <laughs> So endeth the sidebar. BJ and the Bear, which I remember watching a little bit as the kid. That was from 78 to 81. Um, but but what a pro- he was a very prolific producer and he seemed to have a good eye. He produced The Six Million Dollar Man as well. Just to kind of piggyback off of that, his misses are as famous to our generation as his hits. They really are. Right? Yeah. Like, because we would talk when I mean, we watched Man and we watched Magnum PI and loved it, but in the same breath, maybe without even realizing we were referencing the same uh, guy. One moment a hero and the next moment a villain where we would be blasting Manimal for being a really, really dumb show. But but we still talk about it, right? I mean, we talk about it. It was pretty epic. Now, Auto Man was a noble failure of his. I thought that was an interesting show, and it had some it had some potential. But he has, I mean, he has a lot of great stuff in his his CV. Well, um, and one of the interesting things, and I don't, I do not want to go down a Battlestar Galactica hole, even though I'm very tempted because I always am. Galactica was a show that that the that the network wanted to kill, and one of the reasons they wanted to kill it is because they were more interested in Buck Rogers in the 25th century. At the John F. Kennedy Space Center, NASA launched the last of America's deep space probes. The payload perched on the nose cone of the Massey rocket was a one-man exploration vessel, Ranger 3. Aboard this compact starship, a lone astronaut, Captain William Buck Rogers, was to experience cosmic forces beyond all comprehension. An awesome rush for death. Now, I didn't know that he was involved with that as well. So, I mean, he, he was very instrumental. And now you and I have talked about this. And of course, today, folks, you know, we live in this world where we have the Mandalorian, where Star Wars is now able to be put on television. And it's able to be to be a series is able to be created that we can all enjoy. But Max and I, when we were growing up, we would have given our right arm for something like that. And Glenn A. Larson, I give him a lot of credit, understood that and tried to deliver that. And, and, it, and of course, the 
networks didn't want it. And so that's why these shows, you know, of middling quality, I'm, I'm not going to exaggerate. Uh, now, Battlestar Galactica was the exception to the middling quality, which was one of the well, problems, well, reasons why they wanted to kill it, I believe. Because it was because, yeah, the, the, the first season of Battlestar Galactica, which was only one season, even though I remember it being longer than that and more popular than that. And it was popular. Yeah, yeah. It was very expensive. They put a lot into it and it, it, it was successful, but the network wanted to kill it right away because it was it was like, oh my God, you know, these sets and everything we got to do every week. And they wanted to simplify it. And that's why they kind of dumbed it down the next year to Galactica 1980, which was this idea where the Galactica and all these humans from this other, you know, from the original home world finally find Earth and everything now takes place on Earth. So, yeah. and that because it was cheaper, but it was a much worse show and it, it lasted hardly three minutes. Yeah. But then you had Buck Rogers, which um, was pretty popular for a brief time. And, and, uh, and, and, and these shows were kind of, they were important because in that time period before Star Trek The Next Generation, science fiction shows were just poison to network executives. They were, they were, it's true. And, uh, but, but Larson tried to do it. Well, you know, and, you say, you say poison, but like, if you pick the right thing and Knight Rider seems to be the right thing, Six Million Dollar Man was the right thing. Uh, the Incredible Hulk was the right thing. I mean, if at the time in our generation, folks, success was measured in how many seasons you got to run and five seasons was typically considered a successful show. The Hulk ran for five seasons. I think the Six Million Dollar Man did as well. I could be wrong about that. Knight Rider is a five season show. The Fall Guy, I think was a five season show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so Magnum P.I. was longer than that. You know, it was it was, it was an eight season. I think eight, maybe I'm wrong. But it it ran from 1980 to 1988. And so, but if you got five years out of a show, five seasons out of a show, that was a success at the time. That was the benchmark that everybody said and set. This show certainly qualifies as a success and it is a science fiction show. It's a little more grounded. You know, it's not as big a science fiction show as say Battlestar Galactica. Five seasons was the mark of a, of a successful show. And this was with that. Yeah, but you know, but, but but if we look at everything that he did and, and if you just kind of glance down, like, so you mentioned Auto Man, we mentioned Galactica, we mentioned uh, Buck Rogers, and then we also mentioned Magnum P.I., you know, a detective show. He also created Simon and Simon, which was a favorite of mine. That was a favorite of mine, too. Yeah. So, so he would do the he would do the private investigator thing. You know, he would do the science fiction thing, and then BJ and the Bear, Sheriff Lobo, the Fall Guy. This is more kind of Smokey and the Bandit kind of stuff. Exactly. So this is very much a TV producer who looked at what was popular in the not just in in Hollywood, but just in in the in the culture. What did people want to see? And I think that he was very good at coming up with ideas about things that people that would make a good show. Absolutely. No, that, that, that's absolutely right. And I mean he. I mean he. he he, he seemed to like navigate that pretty well because I'm looking at some other really popular shows that he had a lot of detective shows not all of them were hits and I think one of them cover up was sort of marred by the accidental death on the set of uh, of of the main star uh, who got killed by uh, bad firearm management on set. Okay. And, yeah. uh, oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because he 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 aimed the gun at his head and pulled the trigger, but it, the wadding there was the blank, but the wadding killed him, I guess. And so, yeah. Uh, but anyway, that that show I know was really popular, and it certainly had like that uh, "I Need a Hero" theme song. You may remember. But, yeah. But, but but the the it didn't last, and I think that that tragedy was part of the reason for that. But yeah, I mean, he did Quincy Me, which I never really liked, but my mom and dad did. But yeah, he's done a lot of detective shows as well. Yeah. But they all have this 
this sort of a one level above Roger Corman production like look with the exception of say some of his higher end shows and that's certainly the case of this pilot of Knight Rider yes so audience a pilot is Jason can do you think you can explain what a pilot is for a television show so so one of the things and actually anybody who's a fan of a, of any series uh, might know this that um, what happens is, is is somebody develops the idea for a television show and they get a green light to create a pilot and the pilot is a kind of a, a first episode that is mainly intended to be showed to the execs to sell the show sometimes that pilot ends up getting aired and sometimes it doesn't sometimes it, it's really a dry run. Sometimes the cast changes because the, the the execs look at the pilot, they like the idea, they don't like the cast, so then they they reshoot the pilot. Uh, I, I read a little bit about this just recently. I, um, All in the Family did uh, two pilots before they finally did a first episode that actually aired. Oh, wow. With totally different supporting cast. Star, the most famous one for sci-fi fans is Star Trek, where Jeffrey Hunter played the original Captain of the Enterprise, and there was an, well, I guess it would be seen as an unsold pilot that, that didn't work. And uh, Gene Roddenberry had to go back and recast everybody and do another pilot with William Shatner. Okay. Uh, and, and the pilot with Jeffrey Hunter was unseen in its original form for 20 years. And, uh, you know, but, but very creatively in the run of the show, they took the, the, the scenes of the pilot and, and kind of interspersed them in a flashback episode that probably would have seemed really clever at that time. I'm like, well, how did they how did they do this? How did they make Leonard Nimoy look younger? This is amazing. Um, but that's that's what a pilot is. This uh, what we're reviewing is the pilot episode. And it, it was it did air, uh, I believe, as a TV movie, though. Yeah, yeah. It has since been divided into a uh, two episodes. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember seeing this. I don't remember this episode. I don't remember much. Audience, I used to watch this show pretty religiously. Um, it was yeah. part of my sci-fi diet. As Jason was saying, we would have given our right arm for a good science fiction show uh, in this era. But it, it was pretty much a barren wasteland for good sci-fi content, uh, especially on television. And Jason, I think we were very it's not until Star Trek The Next Generation in the very late 80s, I think, that we see oh, this can be done well. But anyway, uh, so instead of giving our right arm, we gave like several evening hours of our lives to sometimes mediocre sci-fi. But this is what you do in a pinch. Um, but I do remember liking the show. I don't remember seeing this. The only thing I really remembered about the show before watching the pilot, uh, the title of which, what's the title, Jason? It's uh, fairly dramatic. What, of the episode? Yeah. Uh, uh, the title of the episode is, I believe it's is it Night of the Phoenix. I just had it up there. and I Night of the Phoenix. Yes, it's something about yeah. that's it's yeah. really clever writing audience. But what I remember mostly is the opening credits of the show. That's what I remember mostly coming into the show. Did you remember anything? Um, I, I I always remembered um, not a lot of specific. Okay, the things that I always remembered about the show was Kit's voice. I remember the kind of the dashboard of Kit, which looked like a uh, a, a the capsule of a you know spacecraft, and uh, and I and I do remember the opening music. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. So yeah, but I don't remember much of the show beyond that. So I was I was in for some surprise as we embarked on our night of the Phoenix. Jason, is there anything? Well, we've really covered a lot of production, actually, unexpectedly. I think that, that that we hit that pretty well. I mean, I guess I would just kind of add, uh, just as we start, because I mean, it does start with the credits that the the theme for, and I did not know this, that the theme for Knight Rider was written by, composed by Stu Phillips. Okay, good old Stu. 
Well, Stu Phillips also uh, composed the, the uh, theme for Battlestar Galactica, which is a very good opening theme, though clearly a ripoff or an attempt to imitate John Williams' Star Wars theme. Yes. Yeah. But but a good theme. And I didn't know this. I didn't realize this, but Glenn Larson used Stu Phillips all the time. Okay, okay. No. You know, these musicians, this was their job. We're, we have a show. We need a theme. Something that people will recognize. Go. That's an underrated job. It is. Oh, I no, it's it's a talent. Now, the Night Rider theme, I'll go ahead and say this. I think it works really well. It's very 80s, but okay, but see, here's the thing. You do not disqualify music for being of its era. No, no. Does that music, despite being of its era, is it something that the ear still leans toward now? And I say that it passes the test. I think so. I think it's very catchy. Like you said, it's stuck with me long after most of the show has fled yeah. my memory banks. Yeah. Um, and so, so I, I think that that theme really works. Um, it will be some of the only good music we have in the show. Yeah, now. And Stu Phillips did the theme music. He did not often do the music in the episodes. Well, that's good because there are some Scooby-Doo cues <laughs> in this pilot episode. And, uh, and we'll get to it, but there's a bad cover of Rolling, on, Rolling Down the River, which I think was originally a Creedence song that Tina Turner made famous. Well, well, but okay, I, but I want to stop there for a second because we, you know, we had just been talking about Glenn Larson and this is a childhood memory. This is actually, I, I'm going to say this and I'm going to start a trend here for fans of late 70s, early 80s television shows. I would call this the Glenn Larson effect because actually I didn't realize this until now. But Glenn Larson in his shows would take pop songs from that period and have them redone by people and use them as the soundtrack. Okay. Now, the reason I remember it, and you'll, you'll remember this, I think, because you watched BJ and the Bear, right? A bit, yeah. I don't remember much of it. They did reruns of it, so I actually saw a lot of episodes. Okay. Have, they would have episodes where, like, it would open up and they would show BJ's truck going down the interstate and they would be playing Running on M which is usually by Jackson Brown. And in my memory, it still is. <laughs> and now think, oh my God, that was not Jackson Brown. But Glenn Larson loved to do that. He loved to use pop songs from that time and, and kind of put them in, the, in, in, and in this pilot, you know, it's in bars and, and radio. And I didn't, at the time, I didn't realize that these were all knockoffs. These were not or, or the original artists, but he loved to do that. And, and that is a memory from my childhood and I'm so I'm going to I mean it may be a criticism now but at the time I didn't think it was I would call it the Glenn Larson effect because he does that I mean that is done in this episode a lot yeah I remember it being done in BJ and the Bear you know all those shows that he did okay okay yeah, it does come up a lot, and there, it's interesting because there were a couple times I was like, "You got the rights to that song?" Not with the not with the bad version of of "Rolling Down the River," I think is the name of the song. Yeah, but there's a couple other songs where I'm like, "How did this happen?" But we'll get to it. So yeah. the pilot, "Night of the Phoenix," audience, you may recognize some of what is about to happen in this episode because you know what a phoenix is, and this isn't a very subtle title. It is a lot of foreshadowing of what we're going to see. Now, there, right away though, there are so many '80s actor staples in actor in this in this pilot there's a I can't even there are faces that if you lived in the 80s and watched 80s TV you've seen these people in in all kinds of shows and I don't I won't, I won't dive into it but but it was sort of like coming home after seeing 
when I was watching this, I was like, oh man, I remember that guy. He was in every show I watched as a kid. You know, these, are, <laughs> right. like these character actors that you recognize because they were in everything. They were always working. Um, just real quick shout out though. Um, uh, in the very first scene, the the guy who actually is working with Michael is played by Herb Jefferson Jr. Okay. He's, the, he's the guy that's the electrician. And Herb Jefferson Jr. played Boomer, one of the Viper pilots in Battlestar Galactica. Okay, okay. Well, not surprised, not surprised. He's, he's an alum of our producer, Glenn Larson. He probably walked over from the Battlestar Galactica set to do his role in this. And The opening of the show takes place in Vegas. I'm going to put quotes on all of the locations. I'm putting scare quotes over every location that I mentioned because while they might say that's where they're at, no interior or outdoor set looks like where they say they are ever yeah, yeah. in the show. Now, they, they, they do have some they do have some obvious like stock footage that they, you know, use to do like like one or two establishing shots. The, we have a few sunset, a, a few Vegas Strip exteriors and then we're clearly at, uh, you know, uh, uh, Howard Johnson in Missouri when they film the actual Vegas piece. And then they used exteriors from Diamonds Are Forever stock footage. It, did they really? No, no, but I mean, I, but, but the thought occurred to me that maybe they did. Yeah, yeah. This was something that happened all the time in 80s television. And I didn't really think they established this very well. There's a there's a stakeout going on in this Vegas casino. And there's a counter stakeout going on. We get the sense that somebody are, somebody's a good guy and somebody's a bad guy. And we don't really know who at first. Um, there's a lot of shadowing of each other. One of the things I noticed during this scene of... It turns out there's going to be like corporate espionage and... Uh, stealing secrets I think uh, some kind of corporate espionage I don't even know what the what they're trying to hide here is but but the police are in on it and they're trying to bust some bad guy right well you know now that you mention it I mean it, it's totally a MacGuffin yeah because what they're looking for is never referred to like it, it never really comes up as any, it's just a money making thing yeah yeah it, it doesn't come into play it's a microfilm it's it's something yeah. uh, it's a plan that's going to make a lot of money that's yeah. that's a MacGuffin is a a thing that everybody wants in a movie and it drives the plot forward the, the chase to get this thing it doesn't matter what it is and we may never see it it may never come up we may never see it but it's something that, that everybody in the plot wants or needs for some reason or another and it drives the plot forward and that's what's happening at the beginning of the show it's kind of messy conceptually to watch and you know I watched it stone cold sober but one of the things I noticed during this scene which really amused me was all of these security security personnel very conspicuously holding their hand up to speak into their microphone or touching their ear and or and, and I'm like it's no wonder why they spotted all the undercover people because everybody's like talking to themselves or talking into their wrists and that's like a sure sign that that you are not just there to throw your life savings away on the off chance that you'll win at roulette this is very 80s audience and the snub nose revolver is uh, everybody's got one of these or there's a Walther PPK I think in this too that's been silenced but but the other thing that is everywhere in this show is the immovable hair. Like the hair never moves for anything. In retrospect, that's actually why David Hasselhoff was was cast for this show. Yeah, I mean we'll we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. But but no, you're totally right that that's very much uh, in terms of. But but I guess what I would say in these early scenes is in watching this now, this seems very episodic. You know, uh, compared to what would be made today. Absolutely. No, no. Uh, absolutely. A very villain of the week, mystery of the week. Yes, yes. Uh, 
And so our hero in his first version, Michael, is a police officer. We find out after his partner gets shot, he looks very much like the Michael we'll see later in the show, but it's a- Same hair. Same hair. Same, exact same hair. And it's not David Hasselhoff, but he is pursuing this person who's stolen the MacGuffin secrets. And it turns out the police are protecting a business guy or something, I guess. I don't know what's going on. But, but the wife of the business magnate, for some reason, just follows the cops wherever they go, you know, even into gunfire, apparently, because she, she she follows this cop that she seems sort of sweet on, Michael. So, so I I, I think that I actually. Um... It took me a while to figure out what the hell was going on. Me too. And so I'm not sure I did. So so I think so the the uh the guy at the craps table is the owner of this this company. And actually I'm still not sure if she's his wife or his lover, but she definitely is his she has his ear. Yeah. And he's the one that's actually running things. And the head of security is kind of her right-hand man, and almost everybody at the company works for her and the security guy and not the owner of the company. And none of that is ever really explained, laid out. We never get an explanation for how the hell that could happen. Yes, yes. It's kind of this, there's kind of this cult within this company that um, that the owner knows nothing about, and they're stealing the old man blind, and and yet and yet they don't steal him blind in one fell swoop. Like in this instance, they steal this microfilm, and you would think that that would be it. You know, I, like that was the caper. They're done. And yet, uh, as we'll find out later, they're still at the company, and they're still stealing the old man blind, and they have some kind of plan. And what the hell is it? I I'm not sure. I'm not sure what their end game is. And so there, there, there's a lot of haziness, and I had to kind of sit back and be like, okay, so who's the bad guy? Who's working with who? Uh, apparently Boomer, Herb Jefferson Jr. is working with Michael. Okay. I think. I mean, actually, I know that now. I'm kind of I'm kind of going through what I was yeah, thinking. Yeah. Because Michael was getting, he was getting orders from the head of security. And then he talked to the guy, uh, Boomer, the election, who was following this girl who was getting the microfilm. And yet the head of security was concerned about the electrician that Michael was talking to, but Michael was talking to the head of security. And it was very hard to figure out who was working with who. It's a miracle that this pilot got aired because this is really messy. And yeah. so, so what we find out later on in the episode is that the electrician was a police officer. Michael is a police officer. And some... For some reason, they're working with security. The security is working for the woman and helping him, helping her bilk the owner out of bazillions or whatever it is in yeah. uh, in the in the company. As the as as their as their agent, the, that is to say, the the woman con artist and and the head of security con artist have their own agent stealing the secret. And as she's trying to escape, the police officer who is the electrician chases after her. Somehow he misses the man menacingly swiftly on a silenced silencer onto his Walther PPK right under all the lights and runs right by the guy and is shot by him as he's about to catch the corporate spy. Um, and uh, anyway. And, 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 then, and, then, and then Michael's in hot pursuit. Yes. The wife of the boss insists on going with him 
and he's cool with that. He, he says, oh, yes, uh, yeah, I'm about to, somebody's just killed my partner. I'm about to go pursue them. Why don't I bring a civilian along with me? That makes total <laughs> sense. You know, just I just don't see how this happens. But we do see that Michael isn't necessarily a procedures guy, and it gets him into trouble a bit. And it gets him into a lot of trouble here. Uh, and I think that we're supposed to also get the hint that maybe there's some kind of romantic trust between Michael and Lady Con artist. Oh, you're doing a lot of work for, uh... I am doing a lot of work. Um, I, I sort of thought they were trying to lay that subtext down to the extent that wooden actors can deliver such subtext. And they drive to the site, uh, and but when they get there, a sheriff or some security company has already pulled over this industrial spy, and it's, and the cop, Michael, jumps out, who will become our hero, tells everybody to freeze, and for some reason they do, and the head of security is there, and they've got the secret, and Michael Michael's got the drop on them, I guess. And he says, okay, you guys have made a mistake. And the head of security says, it's you who've made the mistake. And Lady Con artist pulls out a, a, a little a little handgun and says, yeah, Michael, I don't need a gun. I've brought my own. I, I laughed out loud when this happened. Uh, Michael seems betrayed. And this is why I thought there was some romantic subtext. Um, because he's he trusts this woman for reasons I don't understand. And I can only assume it's because they sleep together occasionally. See, and I think it was because it was in the script. I, oh, I mean, that might be the case. Why do I trust you? Well, it's in the script. Okay. Um, and she shoots him in the head. And it's 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 in, in it's in painful slow motion. I mean, it looked like he got shot in the eye. I thought I thought he was done. I thought, well, okay, well, th- so this is where they get it. They're going to get Michael's this guy's brother to come in and think. Well, that's what I thought was going to happen. But in in fact, what they do is they build him not stronger, faster, better. But uh, they some other group saves Michael and they do some cosmetic surgery on him. It reminded me very much of the first uh, Remo Williams book. Actually, this is a very this is very much the same plot of that where a cop gets killed almost killed and a shady corporation intent on quote-unquote justice gives the guy plastic surgery and turns him loose you know on, on the, uh, the the criminal underworld but this is done a lot less effectively than that that plot you know that plot from real Williams is done less effectively here a moment ago audience I I, I used a line that, that that I knew Jason would really like and it was uh, uh as they're uh, as they're pulling the plastic surgery bands off of this injured oh, sorry I'm getting ahead of myself there's a doctor who's done all this work on on Michael um, and, yeah. and he's explaining why the bullet didn't just blow Michael's head off um, because he has a metal plate in his head and anyway this doctor has performed another magical feat of surgery in another television show which I referenced a moment ago which was the bionic man and, you, and I gotta tell you the instant he appeared on I hit pause and looked it up because I was like oh god that's that's Oscar Goldman. It's gotta be. Yep. <laughs> and it was Oscar Goldman. And in the seventies, Oscar Goldman been uh, built uh, uh, Steve Austin, a test pilot. Yeah. After after the man had gone through a terrible ordeal, he he built that man better, stronger, faster than he's ever been before. And all he could do for Michael in this series was give him immovable hair and make him more likely to succeed as a pop star in Germany. <laughs> 
But he turns poor Michael from the beginning of the show into Michael Knight, played by uh, the block of wood, uh, David Hasselhoff. Can we talk about that now? Let's do it. What do you want to say about this moment, Jason? So I I, I do not dislike David Hasselhoff at all. As a person, uh, you know, he... De- um, so the, the one credit I will give him is that as an 80s performer, he was iconic. Yes. And it, it, it stops there. I was I was really surprised at how emotionless and, and almost unexpressive he was in so many different contexts. He is awful. Yeah. I mean, he may be a great German pop star, but what he isn't is a great actor. And he has the emotional range of a rock, yeah. you know, or a senile dog. He doesn't, I don't understand any, I don't know why he got this role. I don't know why, I don't know why a, a paper cutout didn't get the role over him. Oh, because he looks good on the posters. And I think that and because, and I would argue that that's what we remember. Like, we watched the show when we were kids, but whenever we saw, like, a a, a, a poster or a picture of him in the leather jacket with the, 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 the hair, we go, oh, it's Michael Knight. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, at the time, we didn't we didn't really notice that he, he really can't act. He can't act, and he doesn't understand how sleeves of jackets work, because he's always pushing them up to his elbows, and I'm just like, why don't you just wear a t-shirt if you don't want to wear the jacket? What are you doing, Michael? But it's... It, <coughs> I hate it now. It probably didn't bother me when I was, you know, 10 or uh, nine or whatever, but like he never has a jacket on where he hasn't pushed the sleeves up to his elbows. And I, 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 I noticed that as much as I noticed that his hair never moved, no matter what the weather conditions. Um, so, and, 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 and I think we need to burn through all these scenes because, because I mean, I mean, they're, they're not really worthy of comment because one of the things I, in the 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 early scenes with David Hasselhoff in this in this show in this pilot is him coming coming to and realizing that he does not look like himself and that he's been given this second chance by this secret organization that is run by this eccentric billionaire who for some reason wants to be a spy. I, I, I'm not, no. And um, and he's he's not very grateful. This brilliant Howard Stark-like figure, who's this eccentric genius, has created this supercar and 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 has this organization. And but he's dying. He's he's almost he's going to die soon. And Mister Knight, and he wants Michael to kind of be his you know his legs in the world and to kind of fight crime in his stead. And there's kind of uh, and then we're introduced to Mister um, Knight's right hand man, who's going to become. Uh, Michael's Alfred figure for the uh, for the uh, for the duration of the show, and that's all fine. Like you know, I I don't think the premise is possible no. at all. But the problem with these scenes is that David ha- is that there's supposed to be this push and pull of trying to convince Michael to accept the gift of what they've done, to accept the gift of the car, and to accept his role as a crime fighter, and and which is what would happen. You know, well, well you know, I appreciate it, but I don't need your help i got things i gotta do and david hasselhoff is so terrible in all of this that 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 it's all just kind of obligatory stuff and and it shouldn't be like this would be this should be his his establishment as michael knight because he what he was michael long now he's michael knight he's a different actor altogether and he, he he's trying to make sense of everything that's happening to him and there's actually i'm gonna say this 
but it's not really true. There are a lot of cool scenes of Michael getting to know the car, getting to know his new allies, but the scenes are not cool no. because Hasselhoff is so terrible in them that they have no impact whatsoever. They don't. And and on top of that, they have, there, there's, I've never seen an actor with less sense of timing, less a sense of how they look and present gags on the screen. So Michael gets the car after the billionaire dies of move the plot along disease and he he's driving along and the car he and the car start to interact and it says a lot that this voice is a better actor than Michael and so they have an argument that's supposed to be comedic you know when the car pops off to him and and, and starts talking to him a little bit and giving him some advice and uh, and Michael has this almost this, this almost petulant child uh, childish uh, thing that he says to Kit a lot in this episode, which is, I want to make my own choices. I, you know, you get the sense that the writer wanted to go someplace interesting about like choosing your own destiny, making your own choices, not being stuck on a path. But then at some point they realized that David could not handle any of that. Yeah. And so instead they 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 left that 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 little idea aside and and they tried to do and instead a little bit of light comedy, which becomes just you know light tedium. It's not funny. Yeah, but but, but it's because of Hasselhoff. Because here, here I'd like to say something nice. I think that the the kit equipment holds up really well. It really does. I actually felt like you know it, if I slipped into that car, yeah. Well, unlike the Batmobile from the '60s Batman show, yeah. Slipped into that Trans Am and looked at the, that equipment. I would think, yeah, this is uh, this is state of the art. I mean, I mean, you do have the little screens, yeah, yeah. But 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 in this episode, at least, I didn't see a lot of '80s um, computer technology. I mean, everything was generic enough that my imagination could it could could make the leap that this could be a car now. Yeah, I mean, not not in body style, but in technology. Yeah, it's 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 probably the only cool Trans Am I've ever seen. I don't like the, that car very much, but you know, I forgive some of some of the. I, I forgive. It's not even a matter of forgiveness. I judge these effects by the '80s, and these are actually really pretty good effects. It seems like a lot of the production budget went into the interior of this car. It looks fairly futuristic, you know. Uh, the other thing too, and you could get away with. You could even you could you could have even done this with the plot. Well, you could have said all these interfaces look pretty normal because we don't want anybody to look in the car and see our high-tech gear so this looks like maybe a high-end trans am <laughs> as if but nobody'd be like oh this is some kind of fancy spy mobile you know or but they, they would just see luxury maybe and extra features but and and so i like all the effects of the car interacting with him i, I think all that really works pretty well but it's just that the effect of Dazel, david hasselhoff doesn't work yeah all of this is supposed to be very witty and i and i can't remember maybe in later episodes it is as charming as maybe we remember but in this episode it really isn't but i but i like kit i like how they do all of that yep. how kit is kind of a character as 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 the uh pilot goes goes on yep. you know i i i really think hasselhoff is the biggest detractor you talked about the um uh, the location problems and the the pop the the, the fake pop soundtrack. Yeah. I'm I was not sure. I was trying to decide if the editing was good because actually in some of the early scenes when Kit's flying down the highway, I kind of uh, and some of the action early action scenes, I kind of felt like that they were well edited because um, because it gave me the illusion that this car was just 
you're going at unbelievable speeds and this kind of thing. Later in the episode, I was a little unsure if it even matched Dukes of Hazard. Well, stunts and editing. Yeah, well, there, there's a lot of I, actually there's a lot of editing problems in the show. And if anybody watches this, you'll notice that right from the first scene in Las Vegas, there's a lot of bad audiovisual matchup. Like when the when the woman is uh, singing "Rolling Down the River." Oh uh, yeah, I noticed it, that. Yeah, it's really it, her her lip sync is terrible, and I, I it, it's almost as if instead of saying cut let's try that again because your lips don't match up. The director just said, fuck it. This isn't going to make it to prime time anyway. Have you seen right. the star of the show? But that's also, that also happens a few other places where the, uh, the audio in this, in this, in the opening scene where the audio and the visual don't quite match up. Uh, it right. evens out. But I, I thought that the editing for a 1980s show was mediocre. Okay. What I thought. I, as, as the show, as the episode went on, I came around to that because some of the action scenes later that were a little bit more elaborate with the car. Yeah. Like, you know, I think I think even Dukes of Hazard would have done that better. I'm not sure that that's good. So yeah, I, I did feel that later in the episode. Yeah. There, there are like you are right, there are a few good car effects moments, exterior car effects moments in the show. Okay, um, because because in some of those early scenes, what do you have to sell? High-tech car, driving down the road, you know, impeccable handling. Like it has to sell the illusion that this car is is it's almost a sentient being. Yeah. And early and early in the episode, I kind of felt that. And then and then it kind of it kind of went away from me after the um the, the demolition derby. I haven't yeah, 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 yeah. I can see how that would be a problem. What I want to get to though is Michael gets the car, he goes to so he's he's trying to track down the woman who shot him in the head, and uh and he goes to Silicon Valley, not I don't think the Silicon Valley. <laughs> Because it it doesn't even look like it's in California. I uh, I, I I don't I don't understand. Oh, I, one other thing I wanted to mention because I made I made notes of it. The Knight Corporation, the corporation that's going to send him on the loot on, to cut him loose to go after the bad guys. The 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 CEO of that corporation lives in a castle that has been in more television shows than I can count. That that yeah. that, that castle exterior has been in everything. It, it, every television show that needed a rich person's house. This was some. This is almost this castle exterior is is some. I, apparently many television writers idea of where a rich person lives but anyway I audience if you watch the show look for that castle uh, you'll recognize it because it's in it's been in every television show up into Smallville I believe it's Lex it's Lionel Luther's castle I think as well but it's been in a lot of shows and I guess what I what, what I what I felt about all of these these locations that we actually see not what they tell us we're seeing is I feel like every one of these locations is just down the road from each other <laughs> did you get that sense yeah like, yeah Instead of like traveling, you know, hundreds of miles to be in a new location, it felt like they just went across town. Because because that's probably what they did. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. But so he gets to Silicon Valley and goes into a, a who uh, some kind of diner or some kind of restaurant to find the the woman that he's after. Which was a strange choice to just go into a random restaurant in Silicon Valley and look for. And what and and what a lucky guy he happens to get a waitress who is the exact person. <laughs> Pissed off at who he's looking for, and even though he angers her, he 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 gets a lead right away. Right away. So I I, I found myself asking my I, the question I asked myself several times over the course of this episode of the first part of the pilot was why does the Knight Corporation want him? He he's both he's sometimes a lucky cop, but he's often not. <laughs> 
uh, like he didn't spot that he was being conned right up until he got shot. He doesn't listen very well. He's brash and somewhat narcissistic, right? Yeah, and he's, not, he's not grateful that they saved his life. Nope, nope. He just wants to do things my way. And, and so anyway, but he blunders into some success here on a lead and maybe a romantic interest for this episode. Well, or at least you would think yeah. it, that gets abandoned at a certain point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for a while, he meets this girl. She's angry at him because he asks about the lady that he's after, the villain, uh, the villain of the of the piece. And uh, she 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 almost ruins his leather jacket fight. And then she gets fired and he goes <laughs> after her and he like, you know, I'm on your side and this kind of thing. And nothing shows that you're on someone's side by stalking them out to their car. <laughs> And then, and then she tries like, uh, "You need to move your car, or or I'm or I'm going to ram it." Yeah. And and she she makes the decision to ram his car a little too quick. Well, yeah. There's she gives him no time at all to move out of the way. And, and, and now now the problem with that is this was a good thing. This was a good situation to depict, but it's very clear that they they had no intention to earn it. Like, so what's going to happen is you're going to threaten him if you don't move your car. I'm going to ram it and. Two seconds later, I want you to put it in reverse and ram it. <laughs> yes, yes. And and that's not I don't think that's how her character would have done it. She would have she would have needed to um depict a little bit more anger, a little bit more pleading of look, just get out of my way. Yeah. I don't, I don't, you don't understand. I don't want to talk to you. And but 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 it's almost like move your car, I'm gonna ram it. Okay. And then she and her bumper falls off. Oh, that's crazy. How could that happen? And and the, the way the scene plays, it, it and, you know, aside from Hasselhoff, the biggest problem with this pilot, and maybe 80s television as a whole, maybe we're being too hard on Knight Rider, but, but the biggest problem about the scene is that it's very clear that they wanted to give the viewer the bumper falling off. Yeah. And it was like, you know, and, you know, if there was a staff member that said, well, you know, we need to earn this. We can't make this just cheap. Like, yes, it's a payoff seeing a bumper fall off hitting a, a Trans Am. Everyone's going to love that. But the acting should kind of lead up to it in a very realistic way. And it doesn't at all. That, that The writer who said that was overruled. <laughs> Right. And the, the the director or whoever, I mean, everybody was like, well, look, we've got like a limited amount of time to get to this bumper falling off. Right, right. And so, and then, and then she softens. But I mean, it's a good thing that it happened because then David Hasselhoff says, look, I'll pay for that. I'll help you out. But just give me some time here. And now her acting isn't great, but she looks like goddamn Meryl Streep next to David Hasselhoff. Something I hadn't, I don't know if this was common among 80s television, but I got the sense that every chance they got for her in her tight t-shirt, they would, they would put her in a cooler and then bring her out for her shots because... She looked cold, Jason, uh, judging by some of her anatomy. And I, audience, you probably know what I'm talking about. And I don't want to I don't want to insult your intelligence by going there necessarily. But yeah, um, now now one of the things and, you know, I mean, you mentioned there were parts you didn't see. I mean, <laughs> the second half of the pilot entirely, in fact. Well, no, but but, but actually it's very interesting that this, the, the first part of this, which is pilot or TV movie as it was when it was uh, released, really implies that there's going to be a um, a romance between the two of them. Yeah. Um, that doesn't happen. It, it, it doesn't happen. I mean, um, uh, David ends up seeing, the, you know, she's a single mom. She's got a son who takes quite a liking to Michael. And there's kind of 
have this David Banner, Bill Bixby kind of relationship with this woman that is developed. And you you kind of think there's going to be a payoff at some point. But in this in part two, she just kind of uh, not in the early scenes, in the early scenes, you know, she's still front and center. But, you know, she kind of she kind of fades away. Now, but, but but actually, some of that's OK. Yeah, yeah. Reasons one that we don't have to see them try to do a a, a uh, kind of romantic scene together. But two, because she kind of says that she kind of senses that he's he's kind of this guy that moves from city to city, town to town, and and she doesn't want to get hurt again. She tells him that. Yeah. And he's like, well, that's fine. That was kind of cool. You yeah, know? No, 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 that, that, that works. I like that. Um, but speaking of that other bit where we think we're going to get a romance between these two, I was a little shocked at how good I thought that the babysitter, her her, her babysitter was. Her babysitter seemed like a very naturalistic, very decent actor. She hates the same people he hates because they ruined her life. They seem to control this town in some way. And he says, I'll help you get back at them. You help, you point me in the right direction, I'll help you get back at them. And this is at the, at the end of the episode. He's going to enter his car into the demolition derby. And we found out since it can be hit by a hammer without having a single mark and by a Volkswagen bug, this car can enter into the demolition derby and be unscathed in what I assume, because I haven't seen it, I only got to see episode one, was a feat of stunt filmmaking, the likes of which even the fall guy would have been impressed by. Am I right about that, Jason? Am I making a good prediction? It, not It was okay. Okay. Now, I would say two things about it. It was kind of fun in the sense that, you know, if you were watching it in the 80s, you know, ha ha, little do these people know that that uh, Kit cannot be defeated. And, and Kit does go up on two wheels. So there is a brief moment that it's kind of spectacular. Yeah. Um, but the thing that the, the, the thing that we're not noticing here, the the the, the, the I'm elephant, certainly not noticing it. <laughs> Well, no, the the, the, the 800-pound gorilla or whatever, whatever the phrase is, in the room, is that how convenient the villain's fundraiser is a demo derby that is designed to test the, the limits of uh, Michael's newfound uh, 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 device, yeah. which it, it, that's... I mean, it, it's kind of a fun scene. And by the way, his 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 uh, prospective lady love son ends up being in the car with Michael. Uh, and, and well, and, and but, you know, where's my son? He was standing here just a second ago. And uh, and, and he was yeah. like three seconds ago. She was standing right next to him. And then suddenly, well, where did he go? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I guess I'll go sit down. And and uh, and then suddenly, wow, this is cool. Strap yourself in, and um, yeah, I mean it, it's as a, as opposed to ask like driving to the to some official and say a kid got in my car, can we get him out before we do right, this? right, right, right. Well, right, and so that's the problem with it is that I mean it's not that I hate the stunts. Yeah, I actually just think that it's all kind of like well the writing's got to give Kit something to do, yeah. so let's let's have the villains do a demolition derby now. The kid was in a lot of 80s television. Did you find anything out on him? I, I couldn't, I, I recognize yeah. the face he's in. He's He plays this kid a lot, the, the, the kid who played, the kid who. Uh, no, I didn't, I didn't look him, I, di I didn't look him up. I just wondered, I mean, he's he's a child actor of the 80s, so he probably is like in jail for robbing a convenience store or something like uh, some other child actors from that era that didn't. Right, right. But he's not terrible in this, actually. He's not terrible in this scene. I didn't. Well, no, he's fine. He's, he, he's, he's, fine no i mean 
mean, I mean, actually, I didn't, I didn't mind anybody in the pilot except for Hasselhoff. Yeah. I mean, it's all TV acting. I don't want to suggest that anybody's great. That's, that's that's good. Yeah. No. And, and and Hasselhoff is not unlikable. He's just bad. That I think that I think that might be the key to his success, really. Yeah. He's he's not. I don't understand really why they picked him. He's not physically interesting except for the hair. His face is incapable of conveying any emotion. His physique is incapable un- of inspiring any awe. Uh, he's not even capable of just doing funny banter with Kit. No, no. So it's, you know, I, I don't know what the criteria was. I, maybe it is like you said that, well, he looks good in the posters and we'll get a couple seasons out of this show. Yeah, and, and they did. It I mean, I mean, like, it did work. Yeah, it worked. And so like, you know, we're, we're asking questions about why it worked. It yeah. worked for five seasons at least. I'm suggesting, I think, you know, what I would suggest is that that it that it was the car. I think that's got to be it. I think that's got to be it because Kit, like the the voice and the voice actor who does Kit, is actually pretty good. You know, yeah. uh, is good at being a computer. It doesn't have to do much. I mean, Kit's whole thing during any situation is to be fairly pleasant throughout the entire encounter. So, so that's the comedy and, and of Kit. No matter what's going on, Kit is this kind of polite guardian of Michael, right? Uh, Michael, Michael, the police are pursuing you. Michael, wake up. Um, that so there's a I want to I want to highlight this real quick um, because it sort of is emblematic of every problem that the Michael Kit interaction has. Michael falls asleep behind the wheel after demanding that Kit never take over the driving for him, and uh, he's going down some roads in the Silicon Valleys, and two deputies see this guy that they think is asleep at the wheel, and they 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 follow him and they're going to try and pull him over, and they can't get him to wake up because I don't know maybe the the, the acoustics inside the car are so great that you you know you can't hear anything outside the car you can only hear his light rock uh a playlist that he plays as he's as he's falling asleep but the cops are honking at him and kit's like trying to get him to wake up and finally he does wake up because they're they're right beside him and they're yelling oh my god kit what's happened probably swerving all over the road and it's like michael i suggest you pretend that you have a crick in your neck and that you're deaf that'll help you get you out of this and more dumb cops and uh, in addition to mike we we meet here michael because because what happens the reason why this doesn't work i think maybe it worked in the 80s but watching it now michael knight acting like he's deaf and has a pain in his neck is some of the worst acting i've seen in television yeah and we just, and we just talked about manimal earlier well and 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 he's trying to convince bill mckinney who uh is the actor who accosted ned Beatty in deliverance yeah and did not take no for an answer no it, 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 it's a little too easy. It really is. These are the dumbest deputies. Uh, well, maybe the dumbest deputies we'll meet in the in the show. But they don't want to bother the guy. Was, oh, you didn't hear us because you uh, you were asleep. Oh, well, I mean, you, you, because you can't hear. That's okay, guy. Sorry to bother you. Look in your rearview mirror. And the, but it's also bad. And these the two actors who play the deputies aren't bad actors, actually. Right. No, no, not at all. But but they they come off as not great because of this because of the writing here and what they've got to what they've got to do for the scene. They're not terrible in the scene. They're not as bad as David Hasselhoff. But David Hasselhoff is really bad in the scene. And so from the 
the interactions he has with Kit to the interactions he has with actors who would have been on this on 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 the set with him, he's terrible. And and this scene is just if you needed to see one scene that represented his ability to act, and you only had one scene that you could pick for that task, this is what I would pick. Yeah, yeah. The scene is supposed to do two things. One, it's supposed to be Kit's first moment of kind of showing what he can do. Yeah. But it's also supposed to highlight Kit's relationship with Michael. And so so Hasselhoff kind of needs needs to nail this because this is it's the interplay between him and Kit that is really what the series is about. Yeah. And Hasselhoff is the one that sinks the scene. It, it is. It, he is the one. Um, and so I, I wanted to talk about that because I, I just think it, it's the problem I had with the show overall. And and it, it, I think it would make it, it will make it hard for me to like revisit the whole series unless it unless it really improves. And I don't see it necessarily improving. So Jason, since I failed to see part two of this two part pilot uh, show, how is how is this? series resolved what happens what goes on how does how is the phoenix reborn Uh, so i like i think that a lot of the part two which again it it was originally intended to be one full yeah yeah. it's kind of predictable yeah this michael knight we need to you know he's he's nosing around he's causing trouble we need to get the boys together and beat him up and and uh, oh god is there a fight scene oh yeah. See, yeah, you don't need to watch the next one. Um, so Michael goes to the uh, the Luau Club or whatever it was, that same restaurant where he, you know, the first place in town that he checked and just, oh, wow, this is, this all is. All my leads are, all my leads are right here. Yeah, this is where they all hang out. And, uh, and it turns out that uh, all the baddies led by Charles Napier, because if you were going to have a host of baddies in the 80s, Charles Napier had to be the leader of them. Yeah. At least the spokesman. And um, they're like uh you know um we're gonna you know you can't take on all of us and then the camera kind of flips away from from uh uh david hasselhoff and you just see charles napier and all these other guys just being flung to different parts of the room because i don't know if you knew this michael knight is a a, uh martial arts expert well i'm sad to hear that well but you don't get to see it all you see are people flying through the air oh well that's that's probably a good choice (laughs) so um so then the cop show up and they arrest Michael and they finally get him. You know, so, you know, since they couldn't get him for falling asleep at the wheel, they get him for using his martial arts against Charles Napier, uh-huh. all of the villains, and they and they put him in jail. And so uh, Kit has to come and rescue him, which he does. Is it a good Kit moment? Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good Kit moment. Kit plows the wall of the jail and um, uh, Michael gets in there right before the villains show up to finish him off. And then Kit takes him to um, the, the chemical factory with all of its... Uh, you know, elusive secrets that we're all so eager to to, to know about. Mm-hmm. Kit uh, uses the Goldfinger ejector seat to put him on the roof of the of the uh, factory, and he slips in, and he finally confronts his, the, the um, I, I can't even remember her name. I mean, she's 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 okay as a villain. She's fine for a television villain. Yeah, for yeah for eighties like, and, and then um, uh, you know she has the moment where she she tries to like, well, uh, Michael, you, you can come with me i have millions you know because she has she has all the information you know for the you know the top secret whatever and uh you know it's like you know but if you come with me i'll share it with you and of course he he wants nothing to do with that um but she gets away from him and she's gonna head and she has a plane waiting uh that's gonna that's gonna take her and the head of security away and michael had called um 
Oh, um, actually, I, I can't remember his name. The the Alfred character. Oh, uh, Devin Miles. That he had called Devin. Like, I, I need your help. I mean, this was kind of satisfying. So Michael's in jail, and he gets his phone call, and he calls he calls Devin Miles. Like, wait, I'm in jail, and I need your help. Devin Miles is is in kind of this what the fuck moments. Like, oh, now you need our help. You wanted to do this on your own, and uh, so Devin ends up coming on a private plane and just in time to kind of help Michael and and uh, Michael and Kit Kit are are in a race against time to the airport to stop her from getting on the plane and and the, the villains have all these semis that are all kind of driving around to keep him from getting to the airport and Kit drives through one of them and and again in terms of editing and stunts is it okay yes could it have been better even for the time yes but um but but it's okay I mean I mean actually the the um the car stunts are are fine yeah. I, I none of them are really bad that 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 better written dialogue and better acting by the lead couldn't have fixed gotcha so and then the the plane blows up and the villain dies because she comes over to uh to because she knows that this is michael long now she knows this is the guy she shot in the face and she goes over to kit and she pulls a gown and is like goodbye michael and she she's gonna shoot him through the window and he's like no don't and she she because you know the window's bulletproof yeah. bounces back at her hits her in the head and since she doesn't have a metal plate in her head, nor nor Oscar Goldman to to build her back, she dies. Roll credits. And um and well, no, I mean we do see Michael and and Kit roll away across the desert because you know they were in San Francisco and suddenly they're in the desert. And then we have uh, Richard Basehart, you know, Michael Knight, and he does kind of the, the the fade out thing, which he would do for the whole series, even though his character dies in this pilot. I mean, they just use a recording, right? But yeah, um, but you know, he never really has a goodbye, even. With the the main squeeze, and she's never a squeeze. I mean, she she's going to be a front and center character for like the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half, and then she's just gone. Or I shouldn't say she's gone, but she she fades into the background very quickly. No, they do explain that because she does say, look, I don't want to get hurt again. And he's like, cool with that. So, I mean, it's not that they don't explain it. I actually think that's, I think that's okay. No, I, I don't mind. I don't mind that at all. Um, I like that actress. I thought she was pretty good for this, in terms of this cast. I, yeah. I, I, th- I thought she was a fun character. Um, but I want to talk about an actor who is in the beginning of the show and he's sort of in a couple of other scenes and he probably figures pretty prominently in in the second uh, episode of, of what was originally a movie. And that is the actor Lance Legault. He, uh, he's the guy who uh, very brazenly just uh, equips his Walther PPK with the silencer at the beginning of the film and no one says anything in the lobby of the casino while he's doing this. There's a guy out there. But Lance Legault was a character actor, uh, 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 an important person in the in the uh, kind of the sta- the acting stable that this producer used. But yeah. he, was, he was such a familiar face I just want to kind of give Legault a, 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 a little bit of a shout out here because he was in everything. He was the guy who was chasing the A-team around. Oh, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. He was in Auto Man. He was in Magnum P.I. He was in, often he played heavies. He was a, he was in T.J. Hooker. He's, he was in some episodes of The Tales of the Golden Monkey. But he was this really reliable, he did some movie stuff too. He was in, uh, he was in, uh, oh my God. I just, I'm seeing this right now. He was in the Captain America TV movie from way back in 1979. Ooh, um, 
Okay. Two episodes of the Incredible Hulk, the Wonder Woman TV series. But he often played a heavy. Sometimes he would play. If he wasn't playing a heavy, he was playing the by the book guy, right? Yeah. But Lance the Galt uh, was certainly an important part of our television universe, and I want to give him a shout out here. He's he's gone. He's gone on to his great reward in Valhalla. He died in nineteen in, in 2012, but was born in 1935. He had a long career. But audience, look for that face, Lance the Galt. Hey, uh, I'm just. Uh, I had to look him up because you said that he was in uh, Sledgehammer as well. Yes, he was in Sledgehammer. But uh, a prolific guy, and and you know, actually, among television actors, even though he mostly did character stuff, I always thought he was he was he satisfactory in this show. I mean, like there's some there's some veteran television actors in this series, Knight Rider, and in this pilot, and he's probably the most capable of them. Yeah. This is, and the, the woman, I don't remember her seeing her in much. The villain, uh, she's pretty good in it too. But but yeah, she was a regular in Vegas. Okay. Oh, that was a 70s television show with Robert Urich. Okay. So, I mean, so, I mean, so what they said was, hey, she was in Vegas. We're starting off in Vegas. I guess we'll cast her. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure that something like that happened. So, Jason, I'm going to throw you a fastball here, as I sometimes want to do. Uh, quick verdict on the show. What, should people jump, should, should people look at this pilot to see what television was like in the 80s? And if not, I have a follow-up question. That's a very good question. I, I would want to say on the whole, I would tend towards not. Even though actually I think that there are some really good ideas that I think not only, uh, that I think would work today. But hey, the whole idea of Kit and Knight Rider and all of that, uh, if done well, is not a bad idea at all. No. And I I think the car looks really, really cool. The idea of a car with a personality and is almost indestructible is kind of a neat idea. And there are are huge swaths of it that are, um, that hold up. But for this pilot, I can see why people could overlook what I'm about to criticize and what we have criticized as we talked about. It. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's really lazy television writing and and uh, and and you have a really wooden, to use your term, a very wooden lead that that, that really that really take away because it's not just Hasselhoff. I mean, I, I also mentioned some of the scenes that I think were just kind of poorly written and and kind kind of had cheap payoffs that probably has more to say about 80s television than it does about this particular pilot or this particular show. But at the same time, there was good 80s television. We could probably pick them out. And um, this does fall a little short but but I could find but I could find many places to qualify that if you re- I mean if you remembered it fondly I would say try it you know, see what your imagination says but if you didn't watch it and if you really want to dive into good 80s television this is not your entry but it's not but it's not horrible it's not unwatchable but um it, it, it's not great I think I agree with that. And I would say this, I would sort of couch that like, it's not great 80s television, but there are some things that happen while you're watching the show that will make you laugh out loud, not because they intended for that to happen. But there's, a, there's I found myself enjoying watching it, even though I thought it wasn't really very good, because it amused me so much that, that certain things would happen that, that this would slip past or just be ignored by a director. It amused me to watch it. But if you're not, I would, I would say if you're not in the mood to watch something that's bad, and maybe so bad that it's fun to watch. Maybe skip this. That brings me to my next question. So what would you recommend people watch? Top five 80 shows, Jason. That's that's really putting me on the spot. 
Um, you know, I, um, I start with Glenn Larson and, and just start there because I think that I can. I, I think Magnum P.I. was awesome. Um, I'm not just because it was, I mean, oh, a mystery show, a private eye show, but great characters and great actors and a great location, a unique theme and idea. You know, I mentioned Simon and Simon earlier. I, I'm a big fan of Simon and Simon. I think that was a great uh, P.I. show with the, you know, kind of odd couple brothers, you know, the one who's kind of the, uh, the blue collar rebel and the other one who's kind of a yuppie college graduate goes to church. Pretty yes. boy. I mean that I, and, and the chemistry between those two Parker Jameson. Yes. And, uh, and the more famous one whose name I can't remember right now. I, I love Simon and Simon. I mean, I would put those two right at the top. I don't know. I mean, do I want to just stick with kind of action shows? Whatever, whatever you think people need to see from that era of great eighties shows. Well, okay. Then, um, if we moved over to sitcoms real quick, I think Cheers is one of the really smartest written comedies. Kind of get, that kind of gets lost in kind of the churn because Seinfeld's the greatest sitcom ever. We've had a ref of development since then. There's all these great shows that had really smart writing. And people kind of forget that Cheers had, had very, very smart writing and great characters. And uh, so to me, if I was to point out a, a sitcom that I thought was very well written, it would be that one, which I'd had more time to kind of go through this. I put you on the spot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you yeah, didn't, well, no, I mean, I, 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 I'm sure there's some that I'm not thinking of that will come to me later that I will really, really kind of want to revisit because there were some 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 really smart, innovative comedies and there were some great action shows that were a lot better than what you would have gotten in the 70s, for instance. Yeah. Uh, and I love and I love 70s television a lot. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the A-Team, um, which 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 was a great idea for a show which had a great ensemble and great characters but I haven't seen it in a long time and I'm not sure how well the individual episodes would hold up yeah I have a suspicion that they don't hold up that well but yeah I mean that's I mean that's kind of what I would say too but I've not seen them in a long time those are the ones that really stick out to me as shows that were a cut above but those were also very popular ones I mean there might have been some shows that I liked that didn't last as long mm -hmm. That I would recommend to people even today, but I'm not thinking of. What about you? Well, I have a pretty, a pretty action. I have an action-oriented list that I was coming up with. Some of it over the course of this conversation, but in order of goodness, I think I always liked Hardcastle and McCormick. I thought that was a fun show, and and yeah. and the two leads were actually really quite good. Yeah, I agree with that. They had great chemistry. It was clearly a, a Magnum PI knockoff. Same kind of car. Same. Uh, the only difference in really is that. The, the guy who was this show's magnum uh, the handler of magnum was was a was a little crustier than Higgins you know what I mean then I, I yeah. put the A team on there more for how it looms large in my memory than than but but it had all the problems of every 80s show a lot of stock footage a lot of bad editing but the chemistry of the cast was pretty good and I think that probably would hold up even though the writing is not not stellar and and, and was not a bad idea no not at all you know Absolutely. Vietnam veterans who, you know, the best they, you know, the best there was of what they did and, Absolutely. but yet a crime they didn't commit. And now they're soldiers of fortune and colorful characters. Yes. Yeah. That was all great stuff. 
my, my, my number three might surprise you, but I think Miami Vice was really pretty good for its era. You know, I didn't watch Miami Vice very much. And actually, um, in, in preparing for this, I, I almost mentioned that because I, I actually, because I, I hated David Hasselhoff in this episode. And I wondered, okay, I, I actually wondered about the question that, that you that you stated. Why did they pick him? Yeah. Why was he so popular? And, and so I thought, well, he's really one of the iconic male leads in 80s television. And I tried to think of anybody that would be as iconic. And I could only think of initially Tom Selleck. Yeah. And then and then I thought of Don Johnson. And I yeah. think it's and it's the in terms of visual iconic status, I think it's those three. And I can't think of anybody else. Well, it's something I'm kind of sad about. Um, I think Don Johnson was pigeonholed for a long time because of Miami Vice. But as he's gotten older and gotten away from that image of those, you know, those iconic suits that they all had to wear on that show, Don Johnson has demonstrated in his, you know, almost second career but he's a really really capable actor yeah i I was shocked by that because because what i what i mostly thought don johnson everybody on that show basically plays serious and they don't do much with their face they're all they're all very calm and cool and collected and that was part of their charm right and so you could probably hide a lot of bad actors in a show where you're not acting them where where you're asking them specifically not to emote really right but i i have been shocked to see how good don johnson is yeah well well i i mean um i i totally agree I have liked him in everything I've ever seen him in. Yeah. But he he was a victim of the... Now, David Hasselhoff, I mean, you got to give the guy some credit. He recognized that that was his shtick and just kind of... Whereas Don Johnson had the same shtick, but then kind of unfairly got stuck there when he could have done more. Because I I don't know if you remember, he did have a pop career in the late 80s. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. He had uh, uh, the uh, heartbeat. was like a top five hit. Like it was a... I mean, you would never hear it now, but... But it was a hit, and uh, and and to this day, if you have a five o'clock shadow or you wear a a a formal jacket without a tie, it's called the Don Johnson look. Yeah. So even to this day, that image is still something that that is iconic. Like I mean, you can't say that he's a, um that, that that he didn't make an impact. Oh no, not at all. But that impact still still follows him, and he does not deserve it. Whereas David Hasselhoff, kudos to the guy for saying that's my that's my bag. That's I can't that's- act, so I better embrace it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, my number two is Simon and Simon, and my number one is Magnum PI. Those are so our list is pretty similar. I liked both those shows. I watched them religiously. You know, I I, I made sure to catch them, and I think one was on after the other. Uh, yes, and with and with great music, and they and they had uh, they had crossover episodes. They did have crossovers. I remember I remember getting really excited about that. I it reminded me of like Marvel team up, and I was like, oh, they're gonna get. To, you know, I like that quite a lot. So I I think that that covers the verdict. My verdict on I think we've covered our verdict on Knight Rider and done all that. And we've given the audience something to go chase down. Go chase down A-Team and some of these other shows we've mentioned and uh, let us know what you think of them. Jason, what are we doing next week? You know, I knew you were going to ask that. And you come prepared. More and so I, than I, I came, I came very unprepared. But I don't feel bad since you, since you didn't even bother watch this episode. No, no, no. I, I don't want you to so, 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 so I, I guess, I, I guess I'm doing okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, you're doing great. But I mean, I got enough from the first half. No, I, I and I and I agree. I mean, um, I I just gave you the gist. I don't think you need to finish it. No, 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 and I won't. Um, uh, so I, I audience, I, I want to make a confession. Uh, when you're on Netflix and you're kind of flicking through this, I I I saw uh, Night Rider was on. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And I was telling Jessica about it. And I landed on. I, I showed her like the image on Netflix. You know, I just kind of scrolled over to that image, and then it uh, when you linger too long on the 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 film's image the trailer for that show will start yes. and uh, after the trailer finished I looked over at Jessica and as arrested development as I could I said oh I've made a terrible mistake <laughs> <laughs> because it's, a, it's pretty bad. So you don't have anything? I don't, but I know we'll come up with something. Um, I would like to propose something, and you can think about it and text me later. I want to hear Limey. Limey. Now, where is that right now? How it's is- on Netflix or on Amazon. It's on It's on one of our services. Um, okay. Terrence Stamp. No, no. I, I actually think I have seen it. Okay. But it's been so long that I don't remember. Like, I think I might I think I might have watched you there. I think we watched it together. Once. But I remember nothing. It, it was a long. I haven't seen it since, and so I I don't remember anything about it. Are you interested in that? Okay. If if it's available, uh, I'd I'd be happy to watch it. All right. Jason is looking carefully at the internet. Yeah. Yep. Make it so. All right. So next week, the limey and folks, share us with all your friends and on the social media as well. You know the fucking shtick. Happy holidays. You'll probably hear this hopefully before New Year's, but hope you had a great Christmas or Hanukkah or uh, Festivus or whatever the fuck it is you celebrate. I want you to have a good one and uh, have a happy new year. Uh, well, I'll say that to you next time too. Uh, Jason, happy holidays to you. Um, and we'll see you guys later. Good night. Thanks audience i've left those holiday well wishes in because i meant them at the time and i want you to know that we had wished you guys a happy set of holidays and see you next week for the limey Thor propaganda. Jesus Christ. How many awards did this show get is what I want to know. It's like, it must have been like, it must have swept the Emmys every year. Um, uh, no. Because <laughs> I have a lot of different days where I have different great greatest movie of all time. Anya, what movie did you want to do with us? You, you had a movie you wanted to do with us? Yeah, I wanted to do Last Night in Soho, the new Edgar Wright movie. Which I would love to, I haven't seen it yet. I'd love to see it. I think it'll blow your mind. Now, now he knows that Thor could whirl mine enchanted hammer and, and, and decapitate the Hulk in one fell swoop. He just won't admit it. Oh, did you freeze up? You froze up. Oh, shit. When you shut the door, so <laughs> we're going to have the studio to ourselves. The studio. For a second, I thought I was saying something really profound because you just sat there for a while like this. And I was like, man, he's he's really amazed by what I'm saying here. But.